Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Friday, August 4th. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melkier. Getting ready for another weekend of pickups, this time coming out of the trade deadlines. We've talked a lot about some of the the depth chart movers that are more interesting players now than they were this time last week. We're going to try and look past some of those players and find a few other interesting guys that could be helpful to your fantasy teams with a lot of leagues having pickups again on Sunday. We'll start as we do each and every Friday with some of the biggest news of the week. And Al, it's Shane McClanahan going to the IL with forearm tightness as our lead story for today. It's interesting too because this overlaps um, a conversation we had on Tuesday on Project Prospect about Taj Bradley getting sent down and kind of wondering how long it would be before he would get Another look at the big league level with McClanahan's injury. The answer to that question is probably not long. The Rays have a couple off days on the schedule that enabled them to send Bradley down in the first place. But there was a pitcher we did not discuss on Tuesday. Uh, Rob DiPietro, pull hitter podcast, uh, mentioned this. Zach Littell is actually getting stretched out like a regular starter. Just last time out against Houston, he threw five innings. As the Rays often do, they have messed with Zach Littell's pitch mix a good bit. We've got a nice graphic here that was sent uh, by one of our followers, Thomas Nestico at TJ Stats on Twitter, made a nice graphic showing some of the differences here. I've got it popped up on YouTube, but the important takeaways are that they've lowered his four-seam fastball usage, they've increased the slider, and they've added a new sweeper. So this is a, a guy that's very different right now. Then he has been bouncing around the league kind of in between mostly bullpen roles and starting roles for the better part of, of five seasons now. I mean, he's been a, uh, mostly a starter as recently as like AAA in 2018, 2019. So it's not unheard of for Littell to be used this way. And given some of the needs with all the injuries and even with the acquisition of Aaron Savale, it looks like the door is opening here as a result of McClanahan's injury. Yeah, uh, and th- we don't know the timetable yet, but... Um... 
yeah, there could be maybe a, a longer term role. And as you alluded to earlier, DVR, that when Bradley was sent down, it was really because the, at least my assumption was it was because the Rays didn't need a fifth starter for, uh, I think it was about a week or so. So I would expect Bradley to be be back up pretty soon, particularly if, if McClanahan is out for uh, for longer than the minimum, uh, which very well could be the case. So, uh, but yeah, Littell, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, he went from you know pitching a couple of innings at a shot to to five innings, uh, which was rather surprising. Uh, I I don't know, given that it's been so long since he's been a starter how trustworthy he is. I think for me, he's more of a mono league pickup at this point, but definitely somebody to watch uh, and watch closely uh, because maybe his shelf life in 15 teamers isn't uh, on the 15 team waiver wire is, is not going to be that long. Yeah. It kind of feels like now is the weekend for him in 15 team mixed leagues. And if he pitches well, I think he's got another start coming up tonight against the Tigers. If Littell pitches well in that layup matchup and goes five plus again, that's only going to add to the intrigue going into the weekend. And it's it's not unlike what we saw just from a, this guy's going to have meaningful innings. Uh, what? How's this going to happen? It's not unlike Jeffrey Springs a year ago, right? I mean, Jeffrey Springs, not a year ago, but in the last couple of seasons, becoming this guy that didn't have a lot of success at the big league level. I mean, Littell's at least looked good occasionally as a reliever in the big leagues. You couldn't even really say that about Jeffrey Springs during his time in Texas and in Boston. And he goes into Tampa Bay and becomes this really useful starter. We've seen it so many times before. And it's not just a raise thing. When you go to a new organization, it's new pitching coaches, it's a new philosophy. Sometimes hearing it a different way, even if it's similar information, or just getting some new ideas completely changes who a pitcher actually is out there. So I'm I'm intrigued. I picked him up in Maki. It was an inexpensive pickup for me. Willing to see what happens with this. The organization certainly helps in this instance, but I would not write off the possibility of Zach Littell sticking around just because of the need that the Rays have for innings every fifth day. We got another situation to monitor here in Minnesota. Joe Ryan placed on the IL with a groin strain. His recent performance sort of reflects something being wrong. At least we kind of know what that something might be with an injury. And this actually overlaps an opt-out clause that was triggered in Dallas Keuchel's contract. The Twins had Keuchel pitching at AAA St. Paul. After the trade deadline, Keuchel triggered that opt-out clause. There was a brief window where the Twins had to add him to the roster. Well, that's going to happen. So it looks like Dallas Keuchel is actually going to line up for a two-start week on the road against the Tigers and Phillies as the schedule appears as of Friday afternoon. Dallas Keuchel did go to driveline during the offseason was pitching pretty well at AAA, so I'm curious if you have any sort of interest in Dallas Keuchel making some sort of comeback here in 2023 with the Twins. I I don't, to be honest, and I just pulled up his uh, Fangraphs page just to make sure I was remembering things correctly. And maybe maybe my memory exaggerated uh, the you know the recency or you know how far away it had been since he had been really fantasy viable. And uh, it's been you know, maybe not not that long. I, I forgot 2020, that shortened season, 199 ERA, you know, which granted was probably not a, a real reflection of how well he really performed. But, you know, he was doing what Dallas Keuchel does. He was getting ground balls. He wasn't walking too many batters. So it really was just in his last couple of seasons where things kind of fell apart. And last year really, you know, completely unraveled. So I might be being a little unfair, but. <laughs> that said, I'd rather be watching from the sidelines, maybe uh, Adam in mono leagues, but 
Otherwise, uh, I'll be happy to let somebody else take the risk. And raise your hand if you would not have used Dallas Keuchel with the combination of uh, Arizona and Texas on Immaculate Grid or Atlanta and Arizona. Didn't know that was a possibility. I mean, the, there's there's a few little twists in his career that you've kind of forgotten about. I mean, most of what you remember, of course, is the time he had success in Houston and then the window that he spent with the White Sox, but uh, yeah, brief stops elsewhere along the way. I, I would tread carefully. I think it's more of a mono-league sort of play right now. Um, a wait and see for mixed leagues, even with that two-step. We're at the point in the season, we come upon this every single year, Al, where you could start to say if your ratios are bad to the point where you either can't lose any more standings points in ERA and WHIP, or you can only lose like one or two in each category, where you start playing the bulk game. Maybe in those circumstances, you could consider him as a you know a contingency bid for the two-start week. But I don't think there's a reason to be aggressive picking him up right now, given the recent struggles that we've seen. Hopefully for his sake, though, we can see him turn the corner. And the second of those two matchups at Philly is a pretty tough matchup anyway. So that's part of the problem with that two-step for me. Uh, timetable for Joe Ryan. I don't think I've seen one yet with a groin strain. Might not be that long before he's back in the picture. Uh, we saw Marcus Stroman go on the IL with hip inflammation. This one may have very little fantasy impact outside of Stroman's absence itself, but much like Joe Ryan, recent performance had taken a, a turn in the wrong direction, so you know, perhaps this injury has been lingering a bit longer than we realize. The Cubs actually have three off days on the schedule in the next two weeks, so they can get by with a four-man rotation. They can use Justin Steele, Drew Smiley, Jamison Tyon, Kyle Hendricks to get by without pushing Hayden Wesneski into starting duty. So if something changes, Wesneski looks like he's still the next guy up in that rotation, but the next couple of weeks especially are set up where the Cubs can actually get by without Marcus Stroman. Uh, here's an interesting story that popped up in the last 24 hours. Anthony Rizzo was placed on the IL by the Yankees with post-concussion symptoms, and I didn't even remember this collision happening, but he was involved in a collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. at first base back in May. And Rizzo has had a really rough stretch at the plate in the time since that collision occurred. So it makes some sense that there was actually something wrong this entire time. That also makes me think that the absence could be longer than the typical short window that you can see sometimes with a concussion. It always seems weird to have a short absence with a concussion. It's a brain injury. Maybe err on the side of caution with those, but hey, what do I know? I'm not a doctor. Uh, so more Jake Bowers at first base, and as Waldo Cabrera is back on the roster after being recalled from AAA, do you see anyone else playing enough in Rizzo's absence to possibly merit consideration this weekend? No, I don't think so. I think it does solidify the playing time for, for Jake Bowers. So uh, in, in leagues, for example, where I've got him, where I was not so sure about the playing time, uh, you know, now I, I would feel pretty comfortable starting Bowers. Cabrera, obviously now in the roster, uh, you know, maybe gets three starts a week or so. But um, yeah, I don't think there's any other major playing time gainers that I see here. Yeah, the stabilization for Bowers, good thing for those deeper leagues. Still got to keep an eye on the schedule, though, with Bowers. You would imagine that still going to be kind of a big side platoon sort of player. Uh, Tyler Wells is getting a break from the Orioles rotation. This is not entirely surprising when you consider that last season, Tyler Wells' usage was monitored pretty carefully by the Orioles. This year, he's been used more like a regular starter, but uh, getting some time out of that rotation right now. Had a stretch of, of three appearances where I think he threw a combined 
nine innings over three starts and gave up 11 earned runs. He's had an issue with home runs all season, 25 homers in 113 and two-thirds innings. That's your skills flaw. But Tyler Wells has pitched very well overall. I'm curious what you're doing with Wells in leagues where he gets dropped. In a lot of first-come, first-serve leagues, he is falling off of rosters. You wrote about that in the waiver column this week. In what types of leagues do you think Wells is worth immediately picking up where he becomes available? I think where he's likely becoming available based on his roster rates is 10 and 12 team leagues. I don't think he's a must add back in 10 teamers, but if he's been dropped in my 12 teamer, I I will pick him up because prior to uh, that three start stretch that you mentioned, which was immediately after the all-star break. So basically going into the all-star break, Wells was the 13th ranked starter in standard Roto. So, you know, you're talking about essentially a fantasy ace. And I've also written, I wrote earlier this year that I think he was due for some regression, but not, not so severe that he couldn't be a contributor in 12 teamers. So I think, yeah, somebody who's performed as well as he's, as he had, uh, there's obviously the possibility that he comes back as a reliever, that he's in some kind of hybrid role, possibility that whatever is wrong isn't made right. But I think that for the upside that he showed in the first half, that if you've got a, a room to stash somebody, Wells is, is the guy to use that spot for. What is your outlook for Tyler Wells in keeper leagues? So there are some leagues where, you know, 15 team mixed leagues, kind of like Maki's 16 teams where he might've been a $1 guy during the auction, AL only leagues. He was even pretty expensive and the performance has been so good so far that Holding him makes a lot of sense. Do you actually see a window to possibly you know, trade him? If you're contending right now and you need innings and you were relying on Tyler Wells, do you think other teams are interested in trading for him for next season with the hope that a heavier workload is still possible? Like I'm, I'm kind of torn between believing in the skills and being worried that this is the peak because I actually have Wells in an AL-only keeper league and I keep thinking he might be more valuable right now to a team looking to the future than he is to me if I'm trying to cash this year. Yeah, well, it sort of depends. I mean, he's the most dropped player right now in ESPN and CBS League. So if your trade partner is one of those people who didn't believe enough in Tyler Wells to, to drop him, then you know I would disagree. I think that there's an opportunity for him to, to recoup some value. But then again, if you're trading with somebody like me, <laughs> who's always been pretty high on Wells, uh, it's probably a good move. So uh, I think it's worth it's worth the ask. Yeah, I think he's down a full tick in fastball velocity this season, even though he's having that success. I'm with you on expecting some regression anyway. Rest of season projections, seeing the, the bat right now is the most optimistic of the Fangraphs projections. Uh, a 410 ERA, a 117 whip the rest of the way. You kind of think about that, even in a year where offense is up a little bit, that's probably more of a SP4, SP5 sort of projection for a lot of leagues. So still more of a matchup dependent starter, someone you like a little better in the pitcher-friendly confines of Camden Yards. Weird to say that out loud, but that's been the case since they moved the fences back. Uh, probably someone you use a little more situationally than than a set-it-and-forget-it sort of pitcher at this point. Uh, K rate closer to 8 per 9 as opposed to the just below a K per inning level he's been at so far. So be be aware of all of that if you are either trading for Wells or thinking about stashing him away. I don't think it's a bad idea to stash him because it's ho- so hard to find pitching. But I think you're right to point out that you know with the addition of Jack Flaherty, especially at the trade deadline, they don't necessarily need Wells quite the same way they did when the season began. But there's possibility someone else gets hurt. Someone else in that rotation struggles. The door could open again pretty quickly, given how well Tyler Wells was pitching. 
couple of players back from injuries. Brandon Woodruff's coming back on Sunday. So just some good news there. It's going to be against the Pirates. Been waiting a long time to see uh, that. And we'll see how the Brewers adjust their rotation here in the coming days. Uh, Corey Seager came back from the IL and homered right away. His first at-bat back. So nice to see Corey Seager back in the mix for the Rangers. And then we've been keeping an eye on Shohei Otani. He had the start on Thursday night. It was cut a little bit short because of the ongoing issues with cramping in the middle finger on his pitching hand. The good news is he was able to stay in the game as a hitter, hit his 40th home run of the season. So at the very least, it looks like Otani is sort of good to go, has the green light as a hitter during the upcoming week, even if you may have to be a little more careful about using him as a pitcher in the near term. Yeah, and I've got him in a head-to-head points league where it's you can use him in either capacity but um it's it's not a daily league it's a weekly lineup league so you know you've got to choose and i've used him several weeks in a row in the utility slot so which i think is you know given how well he's hit this year versus how well he's pitched is is probably the good move anyway so in that particular situation it's it's not that much of a change but obviously it's it's an impactful thing for a lot of people who have him in fantasy Yep. Just be sure to keep an eye on the news and notes uh, each day because that situation is one to monitor carefully. The Angels want him to pitch as much as he can, but they don't also want to break him if you know he can't grip the ball the way he needs to. Let's talk about a few other hitters that might be of interest. I saw Brendan Rodgers get sneaked through as a, a cheap waiver pickup in Maki. He came off the IL recently for the Rockies and coming off a major shoulder injury. So I think it's it's not as easy in a redraft league to say, I definitely want Brendan Rodgers. I think in keeper leagues, if you can get him cheap, makes all the sense in the world because he's a guy that plays a lot in Colorado. I think the average is really solid. Like the run production is steady. And there's reason to believe there could be one more level of power for Brendan Rodgers if he could lift the ball more consistently. We saw the hard hit rate jump up to 45.9% last year. Unfortunately, it was accompanied by a 52% ground ball rate. But nevertheless, Brendan Rodgers is back. What are your expectations for him in these final two months coming off a big-time injury? Uh, yeah, no, they're they're definitely uh, restrained. Um, and, and there's all that upside that you alluded to, but it, it would be a lot to expect him or anybody to come back from that kind of injury and uh, be, at, you know, even their normal, much less their, their upside level of production. So not really looking to add Rodgers in 12-teamers, but I would absolutely do it in any 15-teamer where he was available rest of season if you were looking at Brendan Rodgers versus Brandon Lau who would you rather have as your starting MI uh I would say Brandon Lau for sure yeah um like I said I don't have really great expectations for uh for Rodgers at this point and you know and there's the line of context too I mean the, the Rays have not been hitting a lot of late but I do think that there's more potential in that lineup for uh for Lau to contribute to some counting stats. Okay, I'll go further down. One more toss-up. Would you rather for the rest of this season have Brendan Rodgers in your lineup or Michael Massey in Kansas City? He's been playing a lot and playing a little better over the last yeah. 30 days or so. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think I have to go uh, Rodgers there, but that's a, that's a tougher one than I would have thought, especially if you'd asked me that, you know, a couple weeks ago, Brendan Rogers is about to come back. Are you taking, I wouldn't have even hesitated with picking Rogers there, but Massey Massey's not only hit well lately, but this is somebody who's had a profile in the minor leagues and, and also with the Royals of 
being somebody who hits a lot of fly balls, uh, a strong pull tendency. So even though there's not the the hugest amount of raw power there, there's enough that he could, um, you know, he could continue what he's been doing the last couple of weeks. So it's close, but I, I think I've got to go with Rogers there. And looking at the rest of season projections, just sorting by Woba among second basemen, the Bat X has Brendan Rogers tied for fourth in rest of season Woba among second base eligible players. I mean, that includes Bats, Ketel Marte, Jose Altuve, they're all ahead of him. Ozzy Albies equal, of course, Ozzy Albies runs and has been healthy. So there are some questions behind it, but I think it just gives you an idea of, of why you could be excited about Brendan Rogers' return, uh, even if you're in a shallow league. And again, keeper elements especially, I think that's where you really want to uh, try and stash him away. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Dominic Canzone, we've talked about him a lot this week. I don't think we have to get back into his appeal here. I think he'll be a somewhat popular outfield bid. Not going to be massive uh, fab bids. I think it would be 3 to 5% probably at most for him, but it looks like the Mariners are going to give him an extensive opportunity. I saw Brendan Crawford is playing a lot. I can't believe the, the Giants in the midst of this battle for the NL West are going to play Brandon Crawford a ton it's deep leagues only for me. I mean, mostly NL only. Maybe he'd be on my bid list for a middle infield spot if I was trying to replace somebody who's hurt. But the overall production from him has just been down going back to last season. He's been a below average offensive player by WRC Plus since the start of 2022. Um, do you see anything left in the tank? I mean, I guess you could point to that 10.3% barrel rate this year as something that points to at least better days ahead compared to what he had done pre-injury for the Giants this season. Yeah, um, yeah, you could certainly look to that and say that maybe uh, Crawford has some some better things ahead. I also just wonder, and I just took a quick look at the depth chart to see if there was a good a good way to make this argument. But uh, Tyro Strada should be back uh, fairly soon at some point this month. And but you know, looking how the roster is currently constructed, I'm not sure that that does change anything for Rogers. It, you know, I'm surprised that Isan Diaz has been getting. Uh, a look lately, but um, you know, he would be the obvious one to, to lose playing time. But uh, you know, also with the giants too, you can never be too sure if they're going to stick with their lineup configuration for more than a week or two anyway. So it might look really good for Crawford right now, but maybe two weeks from now uh, you'll, you'll see a different mix in there. Okay. Which of these players that we seemingly think are kind of dust at this point is going to be more valuable the rest of the way. Brandon Crawford or Abisail Garcia. He's back from the IL after a long-term injury as well. Both have projections for the rest of the season that are quite a bit better than what they were doing before they got hurt. 
Well, and it's a similar thing with uh, Avisel Garcia that he too has a, a, a nice barrel rate. So you can point to that and say, mm-hmm. well, maybe there should be more production there. But then you also look at the bat of ball profile. And this has always been the thing with Garcia is he's always, you know, riding a very thin line of, you know, maybe hitting a few too many ground balls. And that's definitely been the case uh, in a couple of years with the Marlins. So not not making a lot of really, you know, high quality airborne contact. So that said, I think I, I give a slight edge to Garcia. I think there's a little bit more left in the tank there, but I think that's a really good comp with the two of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the, the probability of either one helping you a lot in fantasy is probably not very high. I expressed some concern about the possibility of Brian De La Cruz losing some playing time because of Garcia being healthy and because of the Marlins additions at the trade deadline. De La Cruz went out and homered Thursday night, so doing his part to make sure that doesn't happen. I'm okay if that happens. If he plays well and they just keep playing him, that's fine. But I just thought he was someone that was playing a ton that could play less as things get a bit more crowded. Uh, You were doing some schedule hunting. It looks like you are a fan of the Red Sox schedule for streaming hitters purposes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's uh, a seven game home schedule for them this week, four against the Royals, three against the Tigers. And it felt a little funny to make this argument. I, I focused it on Adam Duvall, but I think there are some others that you could stream this week because of that schedule. But then I also kind of talked up Brady Singer and Cole Reagans too. So uh, the, the Royals certainly get out there on a six game winning streak. Uh, the pitching does look a little bit letter, better. The starting pitching looks a little better than it has recently, but uh, you know, I, it's not anything that I particularly trust to hold up. So um I, I like those hitter matchups. Duvall, I was surprised that his his roster rate is in the 40% uh, on CBS. So that suggests that he's wide available, uh, you know, widely available in, in 12-team leagues. And I would definitely be looking to add him over the weekend because of that schedule. And uh, I would expect some good power numbers over the week from him. And he, I, I was thinking maybe Yu Chang, but um, Trevor Story maybe is back sometime next week. That's not clear. And uh, Connor Wong, I think two catcher leagues, if he's out there, I think he's a good addition. Yeah, it's taking story's taking a few more days at AAA over the weekend. We'll see if early next week he's back in that Red Sox lineup. Uh, he was someone I was targeting in keeper leagues, hoping for a slightly faster return. The bottom line is I just want him to come back healthy and, and be the player that he was before he got hurt, before that disappointing season in Boston. We had a couple Twitter questions come in before we started recording about the waiver pickups this weekend. Uh, one from Kevin on Twitter. Thoughts on Randall Gritchick as a pickup? And there's a connected question here. Is Byron Buxton a drop? So this is probably something like a 12-team league, kind of shallow, medium-sized league. Uh, Gritchick has started four consecutive games for the Angels. He hit fourth on Wednesday, hit fifth on Thursday. So maybe even settling into the middle third of the lineup with his return to Anaheim. If you're looking at Gritchick straight up versus Buxton, where are you at right now? I would make that move. And I mean, the, the way you just framed it, you know, straight up versus Buxton. I think if we were talking earlier in the season, um, it, but, you know, with Gritchick hitting as well as he's hitting right now, I think I still would go Buxton. But I think it's a point in the season where, you know, somebody like Buxton, who's had a really disappointing year, it's, you know, it's a time where you can start to to cut ties. So I think if you want to make the hot hand play with Gritchick and like you said, hitting in the middle of a, a potentially dangerous lineup, um, I, I would, I, that's a doable move in a 12 team league. Yeah, I think you could defend it. I think I'd stick with Buxton if I were faced with that exact decision. I might try and find someone else on the roster to drop instead. Uh, I think it's interesting how much the projections for the two players uh, differ. 
when you look at Grichik by the Bat X, 242, 293, 430 is the rest of season projection by Woba that puts him outside the top 100 outfielders, which is pretty surprising that he's that low. I, I think I would take the over on those numbers. The same projection system has Buxton at 253, 253, 331, 534, but a 365 Woba. We know the Twins need Byron Buxton to play well if they're going to be a dangerous team in October, if they're going to actually even win the AL Central at all. I just wonder with Grichik, you have the health concerns with Buxton that keep him potentially from an every single day role, and they've DH'd him all season. With Grichik, it's a little bit of a crowd, so I could see him kind of falling out of the everyday role, but they're they're more similar than projections would lead you to believe, mm-hmm. so... Definitely not a landslide decision, even though I'm I'm still still going to be a Byron Buxton truther, Al. I'm going to be the last one, I think, uh, when, when the dust all settles. I got a question here from Michael about another twin. It's Matt Walner. Is Matt Walner a legitimate option for a team looking for average and chip-in counting stats, the last guy in the lineup? So now that we've seen a little more of Matt Walner, uh, how are you valuing him at this point? Uh, I, I feel comfortable with the power output from him. I'm not so sure about the batting average, uh, but if uh, you need to catch up at home runs, RBIs, uh, I, I like him as an ad. I've added him a couple of places. I think, pro- well, actually, I was going to take that back. I was going to say maybe you're having to look at shallower leagues now, but on CBS, he, he's, his roster rate's 11%. That actually was hmm. quite shocking to me. So he's still out there in some deeper leagues, and he is absolutely a must add uh, in anything with like 14, 15 teams. Matt Walner has started every single game for the Twins going back to July 18th. So he has become an everyday player for them, mixing and matching between the two corner outfield spots and, and getting run at DH when uh, um, when Buxton's not available. So I, I think the role is there. The counting stats should be there. I think the one part of Michael's question that does give me pause is, like you said, the batting average. There's a lot of swing and miss in Walner's profile. He does enough damage, plenty of hard contact to get away with it. So I would just be hesitant to expect more than like a 240 245 average in a typical year for Matt Walner with this approach but the power's good enough where the payoff should be there and he's starting to settle in a little more often in the middle third of that Twins lineup in that stretch since July 18th most of his playing time has come between the cleanup spot and the sixth spot occasionally he drops down and hits a little bit lower usually that's against left-handed starters uh, one question here on the pitching front this relates to the breaking news item I mentioned a little earlier on Brandon Woodruff should Brandon Woodruff be activated right away? It's a matchup against the Pirates his first time out. I mean, how much of this is the nature of the injury being a shoulder, something that really took him out for a prolonged stretch this season, and how much of it is wondering about the workload? I mean, we can kind of speculate on how much to let him pitch based on what he was able to do during his rehab assignment. If you look back, his last time out was four and two-thirds innings at AAA, so five seems to be within reach. We're always looking for that as far as being eligible for a win. From a health perspective, are you comfortable throwing Woodruff right back out there this weekend if you have the option to activate him? I'm pretty comfortable with it. Uh, my advice would be, as it often is, I think, from both of us in situations like these, is you know explore your options. I, I don't think he's a, a must-start that first start back, even with a great matchup. But when I say explore your options, I would... You'd have to be pretty stacked, I think, for Brandon Woodruff not to make that cut. So I think chances for me would be very, very high that I would find a spot for him in my rotation this this time out. Yeah, even if I were 
worried about an innings cap coming up at the end of the season, I'd still be erring on the side of using Woodruff. The Brewers brought him along pretty slowly. It was a grade two subscapular strain. And in that last rehab start at AAA Nashville, it was 72 pitches. Usually you can add about 15, sometimes 20 on a start-by-start basis for someone coming back. 85 to 90 pitches for Woodruff does actually make six innings possible. If he's cruising along, the matchup is good enough. It's a go for me. It's not just me being a Brewers fan homer in this case. I think it actually is sound enough logic because when he's healthy, Brandon Woodruff has top 10 fantasy starter stuff. So I think you want to go ahead and take advantage of the fact that he's coming back this weekend against the Pirates. Uh, some other pitching things to discuss. We saw Emmett Sheehan piggyback Julio Urias against the A's on Thursday, and he went four innings and finished the game and got a save, which was kind of a nice bonus for anybody that had him in the lineup in weekly leagues. I'm curious what you're doing with Sheehan, though, right now, given the role change for him. Uh, he's. I think that makes him borderline droppable, um, and where, where I'd be rostering him would be 15-teamers. So I could definitely see him being on the cusp going in on Sunday and, you know, needing to fill some, some spots and, and seeing him being expendable. So, uh, you know, that said, if I had room to keep him, this might be a, this might be a net positive, you know, sort of looking at the Nick Pavetta experiment recently and how his value went up in that bulk reliever role, not only just, you know, certainly he performed a lot better, but also he did vulture some wins and it, that could actually be a good thing. Yeah, and it looks like Clayton Kershaw is getting close to a return too, so that complicates things even further. The way the rotation would line up, assuming they stick with five starters, of course, would be some combination of Kershaw, Bobby Miller, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, and Lance Lynn. So with that, Sheehan is kind of an extra guy in the short term, but maybe three or four innings at a time ends up being useful enough in those deeper mixed leagues, as Al suggested. I think if you're using him in 10 and 12 team leagues without a keeper component, you're going to want to try and find an upgrade in that roster spot. Uh, is Brady Singer someone you could use as an upgrade in some of those leagues? I think in deeper leagues, people have already caught on to how well he's been pitching. But over his last 11 starts, weird cutoff because it goes back to the start of June. 348 ERA, 120 whip, 55 Ks, and 67 in the third innings. That'll play. And the surface numbers for the season look kind of bad. So I think that's kept Singer available in some places with the ERH tick above five and the whip at 139 for the season. Uh, do you trust the adjustments that Singer has made? Because the the good news is the Royals let him pitch deep into games. Yeah. The bad news is the Royals let him pitch deep into games, right? It can <laughs> it can work against you. If he's getting hammered, they just let him stay out there. We've seen it with Brad Keller for years, but I think Singer is showing us more going back to last season and now this stretch this season. He's showing us more as a starter than Brad Keller did throughout his time in Kansas City in that role. So mm-hmm. um, what do you do with Brady Singer right now in leagues where he's available? Is he becoming shadow league viable? I think so. Uh, and um, I thought he had two starts coming this week, but the Royals actually have a week from Sunday off. So he's just got the lone star against Boston, which makes him a little less interesting for the coming week. But I think it's a situation where, because like you said, he's trending uh, very clearly in the right direction. So I think if you have room to stash Singer this weekend, you pick him up, you go ahead and stash him and, and wait for the the following week. Uh, but the, it also was a little bit under my radar, DVR, because like you said, for two solid months, he's been putting up good ratios, but he wasn't really supporting that in June. Like the uh, the underlying numbers didn't look a lot better. So I just kind of slept on him. But in July, he started getting the swings and misses, which has never really been 
uh, a big part of his profile. So in, in all but one of his starts, uh, including the start that he made on Thursday against the Mets, uh, and only one of his starts since the beginning of July has he not had a uh, swinging strike rate of at least 11%. So some consist- some consistency there, some good results. Uh, so I think we might actually be seeing the, the best version of Brady Singer right now. We might be. And guess what? We've got breaking news, too. From the hitting side, we have a prospect promotion. Curtis Mead is getting called up by the Rays. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times has that news item. And Curtis Mead's interesting because he he probably has more power than we've seen this year at AAA. He had a, a wrist injury that cost him a lot of time in May and June. So he's only played 46 games this year. But a nice 291, 379, 453 slash line. Controls the zone really well. I think it was last year was really making a lot of good hard contact in the minor leagues. So the average should be solid, kind of sprays the ball to all fields. The question will be in-game power over time, right? Is he a 15, 20, 25 home run bat? Like there's probably a wide range of, of debate about where he'll actually land over time. The other question is, how does he fit into the always seemingly crowded <laughs> Rays infield machine. Like how much do you expect Curtis Mead to play? The good news is if you're in a weekly league and you have Sunday pickups, you get a weekend to see how it looks. The bad news is many times the Rays have brought players up, used them even in prominent spots in the lineup, and decided, eh, we got someone else healthy now. We can go ahead and, and send this guy down even though he looks like he's major league ready. So I... Uh, Based on what the Rays have, who's healthy right now, and the decision to bring Meade up, how do you see this playing out, and how interested are you in picking him up this weekend? Well, yeah, I'm not going to uh, pursue Meade in 12-teamers. I think 15-teamers, you, you got to make a make some sort of bid. But like I said, there's so many question marks here with the Rays' usage patterns, uh, both in terms of uh, cycling players in and out of the lineup, cycling them back and forth from AAA. So it's hard to say. This might not be the best of news for uh, Isak Paredes. I think he would stand to maybe lose the the most playing time, but I, I tend to think that um, if Mead plays a lot, it's going to be um, not just one player, but you know maybe a few players who who are getting an extra day off a week or so. So, um, but yeah, there's always the risk that he's back down in in Durham, you know, four days from now. So uh, I, I would keep my my bids light in fifteen teamers, you know, probably like one uh, percent. Yeah, it's similar to when Jonathan Aranda gets a chance and you're like, um, where does he fit? And he plays a little and he gets sent down. I, I think Mead is a excuse me, Mead's a better prospect than Aranda, so that's where my elevated interest comes from. And I I wonder for the for all the mixing and matching they can do, Luke Rayleigh's a little banged up right now, so maybe we see more Brandon Lau in the outfield, and then that opens up a spot on the infield. This is just grasping at straws sort of as we as we get the information. I mean, looking through recent game logs, that little bit of time we saw Brandon Lau spend in the outfield previously it hasn't really been something they've brought back this year. He's played second base, it looks like, almost exclusively a couple starts at DH this year, so... That's probably not it, barring some kind of indication from the team that they're going to shake things up that way. Uh, Mead himself, I guess, that, that's the other question, is like, how much do you think they'll they'll deviate from what they've done with his defensive usage in the minors? Like he's, I think he's moved around a little bit this year, looking at the fielding stats over at Baseball Reference. 
Most of the playing time this year at Durham has been at third base. He's played a handful of games at second. Uh, Last year was the same thing, mostly third, some second, little bit of first, I think, in the fall league. It is. It's just one more guy added to the mix, and he's also a righty. That's what makes this even more complicated. You can't necessarily look at it as a lefty-righty thing. Curtis Mead also hits from the right side. So as well as Paredes has played, yeah, maybe his playing time's affected. Harold Ramirez hasn't been playing a lot, so you're not taking much of a share away from him. I'm a little bit stumped. I guess I'm cautiously uh, proceeding with those bids, even though I like Curtis Mead a lot as a hitter, because this could be a classic temporary call-up for the Rays. Again, barring further information. All right, let's move on to a few other pitching notes. Lion Richardson may get a chance with the Reds. When we started recording, it was not confirmed, but they scratched him from a AAA start without reason on Thursday, they being the Reds, and Richardson could be a replacement for Ben Lively, who ended up on the IL after a 13 earned run performance earlier this week. Richardson's kind of a sneaky good prospect. Now, he's gone through... Tommy John surgery that cost him 2022, like all prospects, lost his 2020 season to the pandemic. This is a guy the Reds took 47th overall back in the 2018 draft, so he's a second-round pick. He throws hard. He's got a good changeup. The command isn't bad. The short-term concern would be the usage during his time in the minors has been a lot of three- and four-inning appearances. Part of that may have been to preserve innings for the end of the season, so you can't rule out the possibility that he'll start to throw a little more and maybe get to four- and five-inning outings on a regular basis, but that's a little bit of a leap of faith. So keeper in Dynasty Leagues, deep keeper in Dynasty Leagues, I see it. I see the case for trying to make Richardson in an expensive pickup as soon as possible. What do you do in redraft leagues, though. Where do you draw the line? Because the Reds have a need for pitching. If if Richardson comes up and pitches well, I think he could stay in their rotation for the rest of the season based on talent. It's the question of how careful they're going to be with his usage. Yeah, well, uh, this uh, update definitely for me is, is, you know, confirmation that I made a good decision to not write about Connor Phillips in the waiver column this week, because I nearly did. <laughs> and, and, you know, the reason I was going to focus on him over Richardson is the usage pattern. Like I, I just, I, I wasn't sure what the Reds were going to gain by bringing Richardson up, given that he's apparently not all that stretched out. So uh, maybe that will happen over the next few weeks. Uh, I also wouldn't rule out Phillips uh, coming up and I mean, not that the the Reds couldn't probably use both of them depending on what the timetables are for, for Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. But uh, yeah, I, I guess that's, uh, that's a long way of getting around to saying that I I'm, I'm puzzled and I'm, I'm really not that interested because I think by the time that Richardson would be ready to pitch five or six innings with regularity, it's, you know, we're getting probably pretty late into the season. Yeah, so consider him more as a stash. Auto news, another spot where you could probably make the case if you're playing for next year, you get a roster spot to stash him away. Or if he's going to be used as a reliever, you could just throw him as a bulk reliever. They have that sort of added benefit too. Uh, the thing that really stood out on the schedule was if he ends up starting during the upcoming week, a possible road matchup at Pittsburgh. That's what really caught my eye for a possible streaming opportunity, but that usage makes it just a little bit difficult to rely on in most formats. So more of a watch list player for the purposes of redraft leagues, but an interesting keeper and dynasty prospect to consider stashing away. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I mentioned Tuki Toussaint, I think, last week when we were discussing possible uh, replacements in the White Sox rotation. He's chewing up a lot of innings, missing some bats, still having problems with walks. I think you want to be really careful with him outside of mono leagues. I just think there's there's too much of a track record of control being a problem. If that changes, then we can reevaluate and maybe put Tuki Toussaint into the streaming conversation in a future week. Uh, looking at streamers and two-start pitchers, though, for the upcoming week, Al, not a terrible group. <laughs> we've certainly we've certainly had worse weeks. I wanted to start with Hinjin Ryu. He is back after a lengthy absence, and it looks like he'll have Cleveland on the road and the Cubs, who have been red hot at home for his second part of a two-start week. I know Eno's pitching model didn't love what Ryu was doing from a stuff perspective. The location numbers were pretty good. And I think even beyond that, it's been two full years since we could rely on this guy. So are you chasing Hinjin Ryu anywhere, or is he more of a wait and see even in deeper leagues? I think definitely wait and see. And I, I noticed those stuff plus numbers too for Ryu, which uh, for me definitely uh, cooled off my my interest in terms of picking him up this weekend. Uh and yeah, I, those matchups I don't like too much. The uh, the Guardians are not a team that really swing and miss a lot, and maybe that's changed a little bit with with the trades. But um, you know, that's the thing with with Ryu is uh, I wouldn't expect a lot of strikeouts from him in the first place, so I don't think that that's really a great matchup for him. So yeah, I'm just waiting and seeing if he if he does do well on that start. Um, that definitely would would go a ways towards changing my mind. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at with Ryu as well. Uh, Brandon fought a regular on this podcast, probably the most mentioned player of the 2023 season on Rates and Barrels, has a two-start week coming up, and he's available in some 12-team leagues. Tough matchups, uh, home against the Dodgers, home against the Padres, pretty good against the Giants, actually very good against the Giants this week, and it's been kind of a three-start run since he returned to face the Reds back on July 22nd, where Brandon Fott has pitched well. 16 Ks against two walks over his last 18 and two-thirds innings. Maybe, just maybe, it's finally happening. Five homers allowed during that span, so still a bit of an issue with the long ball to be aware of. But if you can at least cut those walks down and miss some bats, at least there's a floor here that we weren't seeing earlier in the season when he was giving up some, some pretty big ratios damage albeit against some pretty tough opponents too. Where do you stand on Brandon Fott where available? Uh, pick him up now for this coming week. 
I, I know a lot of times people will say, well, why, why pick up somebody with two starts if you don't plan on using them? But I like the, what he's done the last few starts. I think there's value there. It's just these are two potentially really tough matchups. Like you say, the home run problem is still there. That's something that scares me a little bit for, for this particular set of matchups. But um, I do think it's a week where, like you say, if um, ratios are something that are kind of already set for you, I'd feel fine with starting Fott. If it's a uh, head-to-head league where you're sort of desperate to tack on extra starts, I think I'd cross my fingers and hope for the best there. <laughs> but I think in other situations, I'd, I'd be a little bit more cautious this week. But I still think you could pick them up and, and have useful situations uh, going forward after this week. Yeah, I think there might be some people who are interested in the other young Diamondback star that we saw this week, Slade Ciccone. Unfortunately, his next start uh, is coming up because of off days. It will line up against the Rockies at Coors Field as the schedule currently goes. So you wouldn't be able to use him during the upcoming week. And you'd have to use him against Colorado to use him the following week. So uh, I would say that's more of a wait and see keeper dynasty stash than someone you'd be considering in redraft leagues right now as well. But I think I'm with you on the the use case for Fott right now. If you're in that damaged ratio situation already, you might as well take a chance and see if uh, if the bulk comes through and maybe he finds his first big league win during this upcoming week as well. I'd have to bet on that being against the Padres as opposed to the Dodgers, but you never know. Uh, Dane Dunning, who I think I also besmirched on this podcast uh, earlier this week, pitched really well last time out, and he's staying in the rotation over Martin Perez for now. It comes down to shallow leagues in 10 and 12 team leagues where Dane Dunning might still be available. Are you eager to throw him out there against the A's and the Giants on the road as part of a two-start week? Eager might be a little too strong of a word, but willing. Yeah, definitely willing with those matchups. Uh, and it's very much a matchup dependent thing. I think we both expressed our skepticism about Dunning. Um, you said this week, but I know on previous weeks we've, we've done that, but can't pass up those matchups. As far as the other two start pitchers go, I'm curious if you have any interest in Drew Smiley at the Mets and at the Jays, Yanni Chirinos at the Pirates and at the Mets, Cole Reagans at the Red Sox, home against the Cardinals, or Xavier Curry home against the Jays on the road against the Rays? Uh, it's it's a no for Smiley. Uh, he did have one good start a couple starts ago, but it, it's been a pretty long stretch of largely largely bad starts and, and bad indicators for him. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued by Reagans, and I did, did write about him this week. Uh, so I think actually he and Chirinos of the group that you just that you just lump together. I think they're the ones that I'm most interested in. For Chirinos, it definitely helps to have that at Pittsburgh on the slate. Reagans has a couple of pretty tough matchups, uh, like you said, at Boston, at home against the Cardinals. But uh, he's throwing a new slider. So, you know, going back to the beginning of the of the podcast when, uh, you know, you were talking about Zach Littell and, and the new pitch mix, uh, there's there's a new slider there since he came over in the uh, Aralds Chapman trade. Uh, and good results in the two starts that he's had, uh, that um, uh, Reagans has had with the Royals. So it's obviously very risky to go just based on those couple of starts. But out of this group where everybody's kind of a question mark, I think there may be more upside with Reagans than, than the other three. 
Yeah, I mean, a first rounder once upon a time for the Rangers. So there's definitely some some pedigree there. And and maybe these adjustments will actually lead to some success. I think it's definitely in the playing the bulk game range with just about anybody you're considering from this group is a pretty big tier break from the likes of Fott and Dunning. I think Ryu belongs in this group, too. I just brought him up first because we hadn't had a chance to talk about him in a while. And this was our first look at him here just a few days ago. Uh, Xavier Curry does end up being someone who maybe wins more opportunity in Cleveland as a result of that Aaron Savali, Kyle Manzardo trade that we discussed earlier in the week, but I wouldn't go anywhere near that combination of matchups for him. I want to see a little bit more. Uh, from a streaming perspective, there's one player I want to make a case for who's probably more than a streamer, but even if you don't trust him, if you don't believe anything I say in the next 30 seconds, that's fine. You could at least consider using him for his matchup this week. It's Luis Medina going on the road to face the Nationals. Maybe we have to ask, can we trust these recent improvements? But his season walk rate is now at 10.8%. It's the lowest it's been at any stop other than a 10 and two-thirds inning stop at high A in 2019. So yeah, you can pretty much say this is the best walk rate we've seen from Medina as a pro. He's got four pitches, averages 96 on his four-seamer. He's one of four pitchers who's been a full win above replacement in the last 30 days alone. It's a short list, of course. The walk rate's all the way down to two per nine during that span. And if you look at the Stuff Plus model, another reason to believe, 16th out of 112 pitchers in Stuff Plus during that span with a location plus number of 99, right? So he's he's locating well enough to sort of justify the improved walk rate. And the pitch model's really optimistic about him. Everything in his arsenal is grading out above average right now. Plus, he calls Oakland his home park. So... The team context is probably your best argument against Luis Medina. Wins might be pretty hard to come by, but this looks like a pretty nice development in the A's rotation and someone that you want to think about in some deeper leagues. Yeah, good call. Good call. Um, yeah, no, the um, the peripherals are, are pretty good and uh, it's a good, you know, good matchup. And like you said, if wins are uh, something that you you really need, maybe you pass on Medina. But otherwise, yeah, I think uh, yeah, fifteen team leagues probably could uh, slide him in uh, with a a pretty low bid and see where it goes. I like that. Uh, one pitcher we haven't talked about who does have a two step and maybe you know maybe we haven't talked about him yet because I certainly was making the assumption he was more widely rostered than he is. But Cutter Crawford is not that widely rostered, and he's got two starts this coming week, so. Uh, with everybody that we've talked about, I would actually rank him first. Yeah, so Cutter Crawford versus Brandon Fott might be the the biggest decision you'd have to make if yeah. both are available. But Crawford, even down to like a eight team league, should be used in weekly leagues pretty much everywhere. It's the home against the Royals and home against the Tigers this week. Like, <laughs> there's no excuse at yeah. this point to not use Cutter Crawford. He's looked pretty good. I, I think you can use him in more difficult matchups than those two. It's not just easy layup for the matchups. It's that he's pitched pretty well. Exactly. You start looking at this group of Red Sox starters, and they're using Chris Murphy for bulk, and that's actually going pretty well. James Paxton's pitching well. Nick Pavetta's been better since going to the bullpen. Brian bayo has got his ERA under four now. There's actually some stuff going right in Boston. I know they had a disappointing trade deadline <laughs> they weren't the only Haley's team to do that but they've had a lot go right in a group that I think I know I had pretty low expectations for collectively when I looked at the Red Sox going into the season I said they need Chris Sale to do a lot of heavy lifting if they're going to be anywhere near the playoff picture late in the season and Sale's been hurt and he's been you know up and down when he's even been healthy 
they've had other things that have, have just gone way better than I would have expected. Yeah, I mean, this is not the group that I certainly envisioned that would make this a competitive team. Uh, you have Tanner Houck, Garrett Whitlock, they'd be playing you know bigger roles. But uh, yeah, like I said, Bayo is doing pretty much what we had hoped and expected when he came up last year. And then Pavetta's resurgence, Murphy being, you know, being what the Red Sox need him to be. And then, yeah, Cutter Crawford, who's really turned out to be pretty, pretty consistent. And uh, yeah, it's that time of year where sometimes roster rates are a little misleading because maybe shouldn't be saying this out loud, but some people, they're, they're more focused on football this time of year. And uh, yeah. we see it every year where somebody like Crawford, who you think maybe should be 60, 70% rostered on CBS uh, is, is down around 40. So, uh, you know, somebody else who's napping, you can, you can take advantage. Take advantage if you play in a league like that. Now, the other streaming opportunity, I think, is Wade Miley. Once again, home against the Rockies. Uh, perpetual streaming option, Wade Miley, available a lot of places. It's a pitch-and-ditch situation, uh, unless your ratios are absolute garbage because his next two starts are at the Dodgers and at the Rangers as part of a two-start week next week. Or not not next week, but the week after this Rockies start. So uh, I don't think you want anything to do with that combo with Wade Miley, I say that now, he'll probably go 12 innings, one earned run with two wins or something, which would make me very happy for other reasons. Let's shift over to the bullpen. Uh, Gregory Santos really looks like the new closer with the White Sox. I, I, he was picked up in most competitive leagues last week. A lot of 10-team, 12-team leagues with first-come, first-serve moves. Those are the types of leagues where the roster rates are still a bit lower. I like him. I think he's good. I, I, I'll say it over and over and over again until that number goes up. And, and fortunately, we learned this week that Liam Hendricks had Tommy John surgery. So he's likely out at least until this time next year, but probably all the way through 2024. So it looks like Santos is the guy for the White Sox for the foreseeable future. Uh, we did get some clarity on Carlos Hernandez's role. At least it seems like it. Um, I just saw as we were recording, though, the Royals have a new Barlow. They have acquired Joe Barlow, I believe, via waivers. So Scott Barlow out, of course. The deadline going to San Diego, Joe Barlow in. Uh, but I think Carlos Hernandez, as we've said on this show many, many times, has some of the all-around best stuff, lowercase s, uh, in the Royals organization. <laughs> it's not an exaggeration. The way they've been using him all season has been pretty frustrating. Now it looks like high leverage, late inning spots, and even saves are part of the, the plan. So... If you haven't picked him up yet in a daily moves league, I think you can still justify doing that. Even though the Royals are, are bad, Carlos Hernandez is very good. I want to get your thoughts on, on the Mariners' bullpen. Is it as simple as Andres Munoz moves into the Paul Seawald role now that Seawald is in Arizona? I think it is. I don't think that's an absolute uh, slam dunk because uh, Matt Brash, I think, could, could be a part of that picture. But Munoz has been... Now, granted, he hasn't you know logged as many innings as uh, a lot of other pitchers in similar uh, high leverage situations, but he's been for for the the number of innings he's pitched one of the best relievers in baseball this year, and that's not shocking. I mean, when he's healthy, he's got incredible swing and miss stuff. So it would be sort of strange to me for him not to get the bulk of the uh, of the save opportunities. And given that they already set that pattern with Seawald when they had other options. I tend to think that that's a pretty safe move to pick up Munoz, even though of uh, all the, the newly minted post-deadline uh, relievers, he's uh, the the one who's probably the least available. 
Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, again, because he's, he's got some of the best numbers in the major leagues for relievers. He's got to be added anywhere uh, that, that he's available. And I think with Munoz, we're, we're further away from all the injuries. Now the kid gloves in terms of just making sure he stays healthy around uh, the past injuries, that seems like it's gone away. He's had saves on consecutive days this week uh, in the shallowest of leagues where Munoz might be available. He's the best of these options. I think he'd be Number one for me, pretty clearly, uh, ahead of Hernandez and ahead of Santos. Santos versus Hernandez is a little bit of a tougher call because I am a White Sox apologist for some reason. I don't know why I've chosen this as <laughs> as a role. It was completely voluntary. I, I am fine. No one's forcing me to, to say nice things about the White Sox, but I think the White Sox are less terrible right now than the Royals, so that could lead to a few more opportunities for Santos. That might be something that leads me to choose him over Hernandez if I were in a position to pick between them. Uh, as far as other bullpens, we've looked at the Mets, you know, tearing down their bullpen a bit. But there's a few more guys that hung around than I expected. Adam Adovino's still there, for one. Drew Smith is still there. Uh, do you think they're just going to roll with the committee? I mean, because they're, they're, to me, kind of like the White Sox. They're not atrocious right now. They're going to win some games, so there will be some opportunities if you can figure out where they're going to go. For me, actually, the the tough toss-up is Hernandez versus Brooks Raley. Because mm. I think Raley is the guy there based on the very early returns. I mean, he's just that that's who they've gone to in a couple of situations after trading David Robertson. So and I get tip my hat to Eno because he he called this weeks ago saying that Raley was probably the guy. Um, although I thought maybe he'd be traded or I thought maybe that it would be more of a matchup dependent thing, but it, it's not looking that way so far. So, uh, and then just from a skills perspective, I, I like really a lot. So, and he has a little bit of closing experience with the Rays as well. So I think it's a really tough choice between him and Hernandez. And I think I'm going to rationalize it the same way you did with Santos that I expect the Mets to have more save opportunities and better chances at winning ball games. So, uh, I would actually slot Rayleigh, uh probably behind Santos, but a- a- ahead of uh, Hernandez. But it's it's very close. A familiar place as we return to the St. Louis bullpen. The update for the week is that Ryan Helsley has faced hitters in live BP. That was as recent as Wednesday. So he's getting close to a return, but doesn't look like he's coming off the IL in the next few days, at least. Uh, with Jordan Hicks gone in Toronto, is this the Giovanni Gallego show, at least until Helsley is ready to come back? I think so. And with Helsley on on the way now, um, it, I don't know how long that lasts. I also just, not only because of maybe the limited shelf life, <clears throat> but also um, just it's not been the best year for Gallegos so far. So I think he may be the least trustworthy of uh, everybody that we've mentioned so far. And the uh, favorite uh, closer question of rates and barrels on a monthly basis, are you taking any shots in Philly given the recent struggles of Craig Kimbrell and Gregory Soto? I think both had save opportunities this week that uh, did not go well. I mean, Kimbrell's been really good overall, though. 326 ERA, whip under one, you know, 65 Ks so far this season in 47 innings. In my estimation, it's not enough for him to be replaced. It's more of a the door is opening slowly and it, all he has to do is pitch well for a couple of outings and it's quickly closed again. Yeah. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. And in full, full disclosure, I picked up Gregory Soto early in the season because Kimbrell was struggling and uh, I think Soto got one shot and blew up and <laughs> it was back to Kimbrell and he was fine. So I tend to think that given he's been pretty good for most of the season that Kimbrell, Kimbrell will keep the job. Yeah, Soto's got two saves this season, and they're stretched about by about two months. One in May and one in July. So just sort of like a 
matchup-based thing. Kimbrel's not available because of usage. That's really been the, the opportunity for Soto. The the other candidate would be someone like uh, you know Sir Anthony Dominguez. His overall performance this year still uh, surprisingly inconsistent for a guy with really good stuff. 445 ERA, 158 whip so far. He's got 10 holds. He played in a holds league. There's still something there, but a 32 to 12 K to BB and 30 in the third inning so far for Sir Anthony Dominguez. Uh, no more questions from Twitter, so I think we'll call this uh, the end of the show. If you got questions for a future episode, you can tweet them our way at Rates and Barrels is the show's Twitter handle. That's a good way to get them in, especially on Fridays. You can find Al at AlMilkyRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. It gets you all of our fantasy baseball coverage for the rest of the season. It gets you that weekly waiver column that Al writes each and every Friday. It also gets you fantasy football, women's World Cup, everything else that you want, all for one low price. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.